Today is February 13th, 2021. This is episode 109 of Back to Normal. So let's get started. All right, today we're going to be talking a little bit more about how our competition uh, at work at NSERC is going. To, um, we just finished yesterday, we just finished week week two of competition. And um, so, and then I kind of wanted to reframe this because one of the things that I've been working on um, over the last two, the past two weeks of actual competition um, is I'm, I'm responsible for troubleshooting problems, um, coming in for as tech support for people who are having issues with um, the voting spreadsheet that we've been working on. And um, one of the nice things about having built such a robust spreadsheet and taking so many different um, pieces of feedback and making improvements, um, one of the nice things is that that task has not taken all my time. And so I've been able to focus on other things and I've been able to actually build, start building things for next year, which has been really, really nice. Um, so week two continued in the vein of week one, which is to say that um, basically it hasn't been like, it's not to say there haven't been issues, but the issues that have come up have been either easy to fix or have been way outside the scope of anything that I had worked on. So like yesterday, for example, um, the internet in parts of Montreal went down, like the cell networks and like um, land networks. I don't know what you call them to differentiate from cellular. Um, but yeah, networking like internet in Montreal went down. It's like, I mean, we thought that that something like that could happen at some point. And it was I, it was maybe an hour. So it wasn't a huge deal. Um, we had continued contingency plans for that and we we're able to get things done. But it's like even in that worst case scenario, kind of act of God, we had ways to do it and we kind of like adapted. And that was one of that's one of the really nice things about um, having put all the work and stuff into planning that we did is that we hear we get one report or two reports. Hey, the Internet's down in Montreal. People are having issues connecting. Um, and, you know, we kind of just smoothed it out and worked within the parameters of what we had and like got it done. And there was no like there was no real need for extra support in that case because the support we had already built into the system, like the the flex that we built into the system just covered it. And so I thought that was really nice and a, a good indication that we planned, like did good contingency planning. Um, obviously, if, if like the internet in Canada goes down, like if just blanket internet or in Ottawa, for example, goes down, there's not a ton we can do. We we can only distribute our system so much. We did actually have power outage in one neighborhood in Ottawa last week and like the few people that were affected, like we have backup systems in place to specifically cover this. So um, that was all fine, too. And so all that to say, I've been able for the last week, other than, you know, the, like I'm spending probably five or six hours out of the, my week um, doing troubleshooting, like mostly communicating with um, our members, our external members that we're inviting in um, because they're the ones that are having issues connecting, like because because anytime you want to remotely give people access to technology. Um, you don't really know much about their system. You don't know much about their experience with it. So like there's always going to be glitches and, and um, things like that where you need to spend some time with people and train them and make sure that everything they have is working properly. Um, so that that was never not going to happen. And um, fortunately, it's been relatively minimal. Um, I wouldn't say that it's been non-existent because, uh, you know, you, sometimes you have to spend an hour on the phone with somebody to explain something that you think is relatively simple. But um, yeah, everyone has different experiences. and and um, Honestly, the fact that everybody has been doing video conferencing, like especially in university settings for the last year is super helpful to us because um, it means that there's already kind of a base level of experience with it. 
I'm actually very surprised. Some of the members we have seem to not have that much experience with computers, especially it's especially weird considering last year and considering, you know, they're in university, um, they're working in universities as academics. And I would think like when you're writing papers, you need to use your like there's lots of reasons you need to use a computer to be a modern academic. But some people are missing some skills. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so I've spent I spent a, this kind of the second half of week one and week two um, working on things for next year, because basically um, one of the really nice things about this uh, about this competition is that we were able to have because because everybody was virtual because there's nobody in person. We were able to have a system where everybody you didn't have to be on our physical in our physical building on our campus to be able to actually participate and vote. Um, what we had in past years was everybody was in person by default. And if people had to call in or if people ended up being uh, members that only joined by teleconference, it was literally just a phone call, uh, like a conference call that they joined into. And when it came time to vote, they were not using the same system as everybody else. They were just emailing or telling um, people what the vote, what their votes were, and we were entering, their, entering them manually into our computer. Um, and so this year, by default, everybody is able to vote on their own and we still have the capacity to add votes manually, but um, they can add them. They can vote themselves even if they're not on campus. Cause it would have been really annoying if everyone just basically had to type in what their vote was and like send it in an email or something. Um, so we were never going to do that. And um, I'm really glad that things worked out. So I'm working on different pieces of the voting solution for next year right now, trying to figure out permission stuff, trying to figure out, you know, various kinds of things. And yeah, it's been incredibly fun doing that. Um, I'm looking a lot like right now, I've already, it's funny. I, I do this with, with problems um, where I work on something for a really, really long time. I get it really nice. And then by the time it's like, it's happening by the time we're using what I've worked on or by the time I'm kind of dealing with what I've worked on live, I'm on to the next thing already. And so that's definitely happening now. Like that's, that's my pattern. Um, now that we're in week two of competition, everyone's using it. It's going well. Um, I'm like laser focused on what the next thing is. and so. Yeah, looking at, at how I see the competition running next year, looking at how, um, you know, how things can be different and better and what the kind of like this competition is running smoothly, but I think it could be run a lot more smoothly um, with a lot less effort if we take a few new things into consideration. And so that's those are the things I'm working on now. Um, yeah, basically dealing with the biggest issues. Um, the biggest complicating factors, the biggest things that were hard to train people on um, will be gone next year because we're going to have we're going to improve the system to not need those. And honestly, there was a lot of time between when we picked, you know, how we're going to do things and when we had a voting solution ready that can be removed if we start thinking about it now and have everything in place like by the summer have decided exactly how things are going to be run and have a system set up where we're testing it. Um, rather than doing that kind of literally the two or three weeks before uh, competition. So definitely focusing now more on the bigger picture and yeah, putting pieces in place or at least designing pieces to place to put in place next year. Um, it's been really, really fun to to do that. Um, so the other thing that I want to talk about this week is all this like up and ups and downs of vaccine news. I want to talk to switch to COVID for a minute. And, you know, over the last few weeks, and like even maybe the last month or so, we've been getting like conflicting reports and news up and news down, like what's happening with all these vaccines. Um, right now, we have Canada has approved two. There was talk, I think, that we were supposed to or like there was there was a rumor or something that we were going to get the AstraZeneca 
vaccine approved in Canada as well. And the Canadian government has taken a lot of flack in the last few weeks for, from various people, basically saying that they weren't prepared and they, they couldn't get the vaccine in the proper amount and that we were going to be behind and all this stuff. And I find it, honestly, it's such a weird, um, weird thing to try to wrap your head around because honestly, I, I'm not saying that the Canadian government's reaction is perfect to the pandemic, but in a lot of ways, they went above and beyond to try to, um, first of all, cover our inadequacies in our system. So one of the big inadequacies when it comes to vaccines is that Canada didn't have or doesn't have a lot of capacity to produce vaccines or medical products um, ourselves. We in Back in the last March, we didn't have a ton of ability to mass produce PPE, um, personal protective equipment. We didn't have a ton of um, capacity, if any, to produce vaccines when candidates were found that worked against the coronavirus. And so we're, we were in a position as of like two weeks ago where people were thinking, okay, like our shipments of the Moderna vaccine and the um, Pfizer vaccine were both being super limited. Um, the, the factories that were buying these vaccines from or the, the factories where they're being produced um, was in Europe and they were having to deal with possibly um, facing restrictions on export, like uh, exports. So con having their export numbers controlled. And this is basically, it seems like the EU's reaction um, to European factories shipping vaccines elsewhere outside of Europe. It's like, um, it's one of the weird things about having a system that is more government controlled in that um, normally a, like a, a, a company like that, a free company, like a drug company like Pfizer would be able to make deals and sell their, their vaccines, their products to whoever they want. Um, but finding out that, you know, they're trying to do that, but they can't like, <laughs> honestly, it's funny because you like the Canadian government got blamed a lot, but I'm the way I'm thinking about it. It's like the reason the, the reasons that vaccines shipments are delayed are many, but like one of them is that um, one of the factories in Europe had to retool and kind of upgrade their systems to be able to produce more vaccines. So it's like there's a temporary dip in the number of vaccines being produced in order to a few weeks later have just like exponentially more. And to me, that trade off is obviously worth it because we've been doing this for a year. What's another few weeks if we if it means we can get this over done and done faster. Um, it's not like if you vaccinate 10 percent of people in two weeks that you get to turn off restrictions like you have to vaccinate 80 percent of people in three months. And so it doesn't really matter if the first two weeks are delayed, if it means we're going to get to the three month point and everybody's going to be vaccinated, for example. Um, but the other thing that delayed vaccines is this talk about um, export restrictions in the EU and like that. The Canadian government can't do anything about that. That's the that's the European government trying to cover their ass. And so, yeah, it's it's been a really weird few weeks, but it seems like to me, at least maybe I'm I'm being like blue sky thinking. I don't know what it what exactly is going on, obviously, because it's it's extremely complicated and very political. Um, but it seems like. The Canadian government's doing just fine trying to procure vaccines in acknowledgement that we need to be able to produce them domestically and are working on that as well. Like you can do two things and it seems like they are. And so we're in the position now where Canada, the Canadian government has ordered and bought or at least made commitments to buy so many millions of vaccines. Like we have 37 or 38 million people in Canada and we... <laughs> 
we have bought at least of the two that have already been approved. We've bought about 84 million, I think they said, doses of vaccine. I think this is a really good plan to cover um, contingencies. Um, we were just talking about contingency planning earlier. Um, for example, right now, everybody needs, everybody's getting two doses of the vaccine. And we're working our way down from the most vulnerable people to the least vulnerable people. With the plan being to vaccinate everybody. And, but we don't really know exactly how long um, that immunity is going to last. So it could be possible that immunity lasts six months and that in six months from now, we're going to want to get another booster. And it, what it seems like now is that um, what people have been talking about with the coronaviruses, because, because there are other coronaviruses that have existed and are endemic to the population, which means that they're not a pandemic anymore. They're just, you get them sometimes and they're not very serious. It could absolutely be that, um, that this coronavirus, that this um, COVID pandemic turns endemic and doesn't really get completely wiped out and people need to get yearly vaccines. And that would mean that basically, I mean, obviously mutations aside that this could still happen with immunity. We don't really know that much about it long term. And so having enough vaccines to do more than two per person seems like a really great plan until the world gets more than 14 billion vaccine doses, which is, no, how many, do we have 8 billion people yet? I forget. I don't, I, I don't track how many people there are in the world. I just know it goes up really quickly. Um, if we don't have between 14 and 16 billion vaccine doses yet, Canada buying more than we need doesn't mean that we're like going to hoard these vaccines if they're not necessary. We have already made commitments as a country to send them out to other countries that need them. Um, developing countries that can't necessarily afford to have a giant vaccine rollout plan um, when it comes to procuring the vaccines anyways. And so obviously that's the plan. Like right now you can't, <laughs> I've heard so many arguments from the same set of people being like, oh, Canada doesn't have vaccine, enough vaccines. We're going to be, um, we're going to be behind and we're not gonna be able to keep up. And then like turning around and in almost the same breath saying, why did Canada buy so many vaccines? We're going to have way too many. What are we going to do? Poor countries need them. We're going to, and it's like, you're saying the same you're, you're making the, the opposite argument. You're making both arguments negatively towards the Canadian. Like you just don't like the Canadian government. What they're doing, it, I'm not saying it's perfect again, but I don't know what I would do differently to make it better. And I haven't heard really anybody talking about things differently other than like, other than literally seeing the future. Um, you can't just build a state-of-the-art vaccine factory, vac vaccine production facility from scratch with nothing to really produce. Like there's no reason to ramp up um, vaccine production until you have a vaccine candidate that works, that's been tested, that's been approved. Um, and other companies have had the ability to do that, but Canada hasn't needed to do that yet. So there was no real reason to do it. So like this is this is a pretty accelerated timeline already for them to be able to do that, to be able to build up vaccine production. Um, anybody who's armchair quarterbacking now and saying, oh, we should have had this all along, like, you're, no, man, you're being disingenuous. You're being political. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good argument. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to leave this episode there for now. I don't have too much else to say. Um, I'm going to, again, recommend WandaVision because I talk about it every week now a little bit. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing now, but honestly, we're six episodes in out of nine. It's a really great show. There's only three episodes left. Um, I highly recommend watching it. So so do check it out if you're at all interested in. Um, honestly, if you're all interested in TV, it's it's a really great kind of meta show about television. So. Um, anyways, I'm going to leave it there. Thanks very much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.